0: Aidan Manktelow, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. We're here at the CBAM Global Business Symposium on BRICS and beyond. You're looking at the civets, the next big thing in emerging markets. So the first question has to be, can you define the civets?
1: Um, sure. So um, these are, this is uh, Colombia, Indonesia, Vietnam, Egypt, Turkey and South Africa. And the idea is that, I mean, there's been increased focus on trying to find a second tier of emerging markets beyond the BRICS for two reasons, really. First, that the, the BRICS doesn't really capture the, the breadth of what's happening in emerging markets, the extent to which so many countries are opening up and attaining much more rapid levels of, of development. And the second issue being that I think for investors, BRICS assets are increasingly well-priced. So there's there's an interest in finding a sort of second tier of of large emerging markets that pote- could potentially achieve similar growth rates. And that's what we've, we've tried to do with the civets.
0: Do you think that perhaps we don't really know in terms of uh, living in a global world, the development of uh, global economies? Three years ago at the Judge Business School, we were talking about the rise of the BRICS, But now the melting pot is far larger than ever it was before. People are also talking about Turkey uh, as a good economy to invest in when previously they might have thought it was a third world or a slow-growth economy. Things are changing fairly rapidly.
1: They are, yes. I think uh, a lot of these economies are much more on the map now than they were just a few years ago. I mean, you can argue about whether this is a kind of second tier of emerging markets following the BRICS or whether it was, it was more uh, contemporaneous. You know, they started opening up at not dissimilar times but uh, I think because investors were so focused on uh, China and India particularly, initially, that there was less of an incentive to, to drill down to some of the smaller emerging countries.
0: And we're living in a time of great volatility, particularly with Greece, the spring Arab uprisings, people also dubious about whether... China can maintain its growth rate when it's got so many rural poor and what's going to happen there politically in terms of the democracy but Colombia, Indonesia, Vietnam, Egypt, Turkey, South Africa you talk about the political baseline being supportive.
1: Yeah, I mean that's one of the key reasons why we'd pick these markets over some other you know similarly sized emerging economies, you know like the likes of uh, Nigeria, Pakistan for example. We just think that for the for the for these six countries, the political baseline in terms of be, partly being able to avoid serious instability in the future. Well, I mean, obviously Egypt's having its issues at the moment, but also in terms of you know the supporting inst- institutions and the extent to which the politics can support the kind of um, policies needed to sustain good long-term growth. We we think that these six countries just look a bit better than. Than, than other large emerging markets.
0: Because people often talk about Brazil, don't they, in in terms of having, um, if you like, redistributed its wealth to the poor. It's brought up its poor to the levels of what's happening uh, elsewhere, perhaps in Western o- economies. It hasn't left them behind, so it hasn't grown at the expense of the poor. It's mm. grown with the poor. Do you think that's a lesson others should look at?
1: Yeah, definitely, and that's, that's going to be absolutely crucial. I mean, one, one reason why we quite like the civets is that they've all got... Um, they have all quite young populations, so the average age across the, uh, the six countries is just uh, 26, um, but, which is a, a major source of opportunity uh, in terms of the growth potential. But it does, it does bring, big, big, bring big challenges because the issue is going to be to try, as these populations expand, to try and maintain job creation. And I mean, one, one factor, big factor that lay behind the problems that Egypt's having is that it, the Mubarak regime really failed to do that for its, its young population.
0: Now, the other thing that people have talked about is population growth. So it's not actually having the large populations, even though they may represent internal consumer markets in the long term, but but actually an educated population. And that's why some are betting on Russia and think, well, you know, its people are educated and uniformly educated across the country. Um, Population, is that important?
1: I think the the, the, the significance of population is, partly that it, i mean in the, in the context that we're talking about um it just confers sufficient weight on a country to be interesting for investors you know for its own sake i guess all of these countries have potentially quite sizable internal markets and the other thing is i think economies of a certain this kind of size may be more likely to be able to diversify successfully so none of these economies is excessively reliant on uh, commodities for example
0: and, and that diversity—can you expand on that? It's not, it's not just the, the commodities or the co- commodity prices that may be volatile at certain point of time. What are those other factors that, in the mix, matter?
1: Um, well, I mean, the, the key—we the key, tend to think that um, countries' commodity dependence is, you know, as much more of a curse really than a blessing. So, over the long term, it encourages it encourages corruption. It tends to, I mean, a Dutch disease as well, so the effects on the exchange rate squeezing out the, um, the manufactured sector. So in all of these countries, I mean, there's some, there's some commodities, so like uh, Colombia's got agriculture and oil, for example. Um, Indonesia's got huge natural resources, South Africa's uh, minerals. But there's plenty going on beside. If you think of Egypt, for example, the Oroscom group, and the way in which that spans different sectors, and t- some large Turkish conglomerates similarly, I think it sort of stresses the extent to which these markets doing well in, in a number of different sectors
0: now if we have a look at the, the civets uh, they're not going to reshape the global order but they will make a significant contribution to global growth they'll offer major opportunities for investors they'll bolster their respective regions and add weight to the shift in global gravity to east and south it's becoming impossible to know where to invest uh, in the world you know to get your head around it day to day it's changing and um, are these civets a good bet?
1: We think so. I mean, partly because of the economic diversification, partly because of the, the young populations, the political stability we talked about. Also, I mean, the economic fundamentals look pretty robust in an emerging market context. It is, it is still dwarfed really by the BRICS story. I mean, the BRICS story is so huge. It's so central to this shift in, in gravity in the global economy from, from west to east. Um, and the civets, aren't really, the civets aren't going to rival the BRICS in terms of size. They aren't going to rival the G7 in terms of size. And even by 2030, you're looking at maybe only uh, Egypt joining um, Indonesia and Turkey in the top 20 global economies. But we just think that for investors looking for sustained long-term growth in markets beyond the BRICS, these are good countries to be looking at.
0: And, and you boldly also talked about the nuts who were tough to crack. Can you tell, them why, tell me why you call them nuts and why they're tough to crack?
1: Um, that was actually more of a little gag for the end of the presentation, but um, it was uh, just to, I think illustrate maybe slightly silly lengths to which some of the um, uh, emerging market acronym mania has now has now reached. I think I heard something somewhere about mint economies recently as well. And,
0: and yes, not the G7, G20, but but you know we've now got the the E7 or or whatever: Nigeria, Ukraine, Thailand, Saudi Arabia. They they were the ones that you called the nuts, weren't they?
1: Yeah, I mean those those are more uh, countries that are doing okay this year and might be interesting investors with with more risk appetite. But it was well, it's not it wasn't really intended as a kind of a serious contribution to the debate. To be honest.
0: Okay, well, I'm giving you twenty pounds. You've heard the presentations at the the beginning of, of the CBAM symposium. If we're looking at 2050, China, the USA, India, where would you put your pounds
1: I. Th- think i would oh it's a tricky one probably on india i think I, I sort of i i'm a bit concerned about china's potentially sort of hitting a a middle income trap and struggling to to get on from there as well as you know the risks of a, of a crash in the next few years india is i think in the next once it if it can get its um infrastructure in order and develop its agricultural sector i think offers you know really huge opportunities
0: well Aidan Manktelow, Senior Economist, thank you for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today here at the CBAM Symposium, Bricks and Beyond. Uh, I'll let you take your money and hot-foot it uh, down to the betting shop. Thank you ever so much indeed for talking to us.
1: Thanks very much.